Good afternoon. I'm Art Druckenmiller, and it's my pleasure to be with Rick Bontham and his ministries in doing this this afternoon. Uh, we're going to uh, bring a story from Acts today about believers' baptism. And uh, I have my uh, one of my favorite girls, my girlfriend, actually my youngest granddaughter, Caroline, with me again today. A few questions about what believers' baptism means means to her, because just a um, uh, two Sundays ago, Caroline and two members of her family were actually baptized. So, Caroline, uh, uh, tell us wh- uh, why did you decide to get baptized? I wanted to get baptized because of COVID and everything, um, and I wanted to show everybody and especially. Um, God, that I trusted him through everything. So that's why I got baptized. And that was just two Sundays ago. And actually, you had asked to be baptized um, like, quite a while ago. Several, oh, back early in the year. How, how come it took so long? Um, it took long because, like, my church had to close down and we couldn't do anything. So... And um, we go to a church uh, where they really emphasize about being a Jesus follower and how important it is to get baptized after you accept the Lord. And so for um, about six months after COVID came, so we're really glad that they'd be able to start baptism up again. And Caroline was actually one of the first to be baptized. And I had the privilege of baptizing her and my daughter and uh, my son-in-law, Caroline's mom and dad. On that Sunday, it was just a really great experience. So, Caroline, what uh, do you want to share something about why it was special to you, and any any thoughts you had about since being baptized? No. What, what does it mean? What did you felt like? Was it a good experience for you? Yes. And so, why was it a good experience? I don't know. That's <laughs> okay. You did a great job. You're a little bit. You were a little bit nervous that morning, weren't you? Yeah. Well, I was a little bit nervous also, so it was great. But we had a great experience, and then our family was together. Most of our family was able to be together for a good portion of the day afterwards, and so it was a great day to celebrate. Uh, three of us being baptized. So uh, with that, uh, Caroline, I'm going to excuse Caroline. She's going to go about her business for the afternoon. But thank you, Caroline. You're welcome. All right, um, <clears throat> we're just going to uh, just open with a brief word of prayer here, and then we'll be on with the message. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this afternoon to uh, talk a little bit about, two, uh, sto- well, a story that's in, in Acts, which I think is really important, and several instances where there's clearly be, uh, uh, believers baptized of two individuals. And so, Lord, I just ask you that um, the words that we speak today um, just... Uh, uh, be, be used in, in your way in, in the lives of me and the lives of people uh, listening to this message on down the road. Um, the book of Acts has always been special for me. It's the one book in the New Testament where there's, uh, it's, it's really a book of, act, of action. That's why they call it Acts. And um, it's uh, just there's, there's so many wonderful stories in there in terms of how God uh, worked with people to bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
and how he used the apostles as his instruments um, to to bring about salvation. And um, we're actually going to we're going to talk about the believer's baptism. And as I talk about this today, I'm not taking away from um, and we'll talk more about it, but not taking away from people who get baptized as infants. Uh, nor am I saying that a believer's baptism is important for salvation. It's not important for salvation. We, we become saved by trusting in the, the work of the, of, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming him as uh, son of God. But it's an important step. I think it's a really important step um, after trusting the Lord. In fact, the sooner we do it, the better. But also it's an important step for believers at, uh, even but whenever they decide to be to become baptized. And so, um, so the takeaway today is just really encouraging people who maybe you were baptized as an infant and you feel that's all you ever need, and that's fine. But it's a great opportunity as a believer when you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to, um, to just proclaim to the world. It's really an outward manifestation of an inward work is what it is. And so you're proclaiming to the world uh, that you that you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there are multiple baptisms uh, talked about in the Bible. In fact, if we go to Hebrews, we'll find in Hebrews six it tells us to move on from the elementary uh, things into more more advanced things. In fact, it actually talks about baptisms being one of the elementary things. So it's used as a plural in that scripture. So there must be more than one one baptism. Um, so um, now when John the Baptist came he's known not John the disciple but John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus Christ came and we find in the early book of, of John especially but there in Max 4 it tells us he came with repentance for remission of sins um, and so uh, even though I don't think baptism is actually mentioned in the Old Testament I feel like there must have been something linked to a Jewish ritual such that people readily accepted the idea of being baptized by by John. And because it tells us they just came out in mass to be baptized. Um, it also, in the scriptures, in, in, in the uh, Gospels, it tells us that Jesus himself baptized. Um, in fact, it says that he actually baptized more than John did. But then it also tells us that Jesus himself did not did not baptize, but his disciples did. An important thing of John's ministry, Jesus himself was baptized as a result of, of John's ministry. And he came. In fact, the day that he was baptized was actually the day that uh, everything in, in uh, uh, Judaism has to be established with the mouth of two witnesses. And so. The, the fact that Jesus was who he said he was, was established that very day when he came to be baptized. Because John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then also God's heavenly father, Father God, spoke out that day. The dove came down visibly and they could hear the word spoken by God himself and said, this is my beloved. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So believer baptism is really the outward sign of an inward work. And it, as we read the book of Acts, we find many places where crowds were believed and they trusted by they heard the word. They believed 
and um, then they were they after they believed they were immediately baptized and so uh, the opportunity it, it seems like it infers that most every situation in 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 in, in acts the people that trusted the Lord had the opportunity and were baptized soon after they believed. Um, in fact, um, baptism is really important to us because in the Great Commission in, in Matthew Matthew 28 and Mark 16, where the Lord is speaking to his disciples before his ascension, he says, uh, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to all the nations, discipling the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to uh, observe all the things that I have said. So, um, just reiterating this, that we, uh, we, when we are baptized, we are identifying ourselves to the world that um, we are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, and so it's an outward sign. And back in the days of the disciples, and even today, not in America at this point in time, but in many places around the world, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're baptized, you're really putting yourself at risk. And so it's it's a tremendous exercise, a tremendous challenge to take that step and be baptized to let the world know that you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Galatians 2.16 says, or 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And the life I now live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in baptism, what we're doing is we're identifying ourselves. And actually, we're identifying ourselves with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as we go down in the water. And then we're identifying ourselves with the resurrection when we come back out of the water. And so uh, I submit to you that uh, an infant infant can't experience this. An adult or a young child can't experience this. And it's a wonderful experience. And so uh, now as far as believers baptism or infinite baptism, that's really a, a matter of a, of a couple presenting their child and by faith to the church or wherever they do christening or whatever you, you different forms, different, uh, different denominations call it different things. But what we're really doing there is you're presenting a child by faith that they'll grow up to know the Lord the same as the parents do. Um, Now, some other scriptures um, that that really bring out baptism. First, uh, First Peter Peter talks about the baptism in chapter three. It's a pretty deep section, fourteen through twenty-two of the verses there. But it's a good. But uh, actually, the best place to really learn about baptism is Romans six, where Paul really brings out the fact that we were buried with him, and we were we were raised to newness of life and a new walk. Um, about my own personal experience, I was um, grew up in a, a, re, in a in a small group where they believed in infant baptism, and interesting enough, they believed in full immersion of the child. Now, I, I don't know they ever lost anybody, but I can remember going to baptisms and having seeing babies coming up out of the water of a bassinet and actually really choking, and so. I was considered that was a rather dangerous thing to do. Although, since I'm alive today, I survived my infant baptism. But um, after my wife and I really, 
began to really trust the Lord. We we uh, we, we were taught about believers' baptism, and so when my sons were, uh, I think about ten and six, my wife and I were both baptized as believers, and then I had the privilege of baptizing um, my sons that day too, and that was a great experience for me. Then uh, the Lord gave us Elizabeth, who came along, and um, the, the the mother of Caroline, who's here a few minutes ago. She at a very early age accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I think, and so about when she was about five, she uh, had trusted the Lord to be baptized, and so at that point in time, our whole family was baptized. Both my wife and, and I had been, uh, and, and our sons too had actually been. Well, my wife and our sons had actually been Christian, Christian in a Lutheran church once before. Um, another time, probably 20, 25 years after that original time of being baptized as a believer, we were attending a, um, a week-long ministry and, and really learning a lot about the Word. And, and I had never heard somebody pre- actually present his baptism in a way that the man presented that at that particular conference we were at. And so we had the opportunity to... Um, to, to be baptized that day, and so we both felt the nudge of the Lord of the, of the Spirit to go ahead and be baptized again that day. And so I just say that it, uh, it's not something you do once; you can do it um, uh, s- several times because it's, all you're really showing is you're, you're, you're attesting to a new winning, a new new work in your life uh, at that point in time. Um, another time that baptism was presented to us was on a trip to Israel. And on the trip, there's probably about four of us on the trip, and the opportunity to be baptized there was presented. Uh, my wife and I didn't feel the, the urge to be baptized that day. It was We didn't feel like it was really that meaningful to us to be baptized in the Jordan, although it was a kind of a ceremonial thing, a special thing to do. So, And besides that, it was a rather cold day, so my wife decided not to. And I had the privilege of standing there with people's cameras and taking pictures of everybody getting baptized that day. So I felt I served a good purpose that day, but I actually was not baptized in the Jordan. Um, one of the challenges of baptism is what people think about it. And lots of people think it actually is, a, is a, for, for an infant. It's actually it's bringing about salvation. Uh, as I read the Bible, that's not really true. It's an it's an act after we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've already mentioned. Um, but I have different people. In fact, the, the weekend that I baptized Caroline, some people said, "Oh, the angels are rejoicing and so forth." And I don't find I find the angels rejoice over salvation. I don't know that they do actually rejoice over baptism. Not not sure. But again, not to discount infant baptism. I mentioned, again, it's actually the faith of the parents presenting their child as an infant, um, trusting the Lord. And so it's much more of a dedication than it is to really the meaning of baptism, in, in my way of thinking. Now, in Acts, um, we find lots of places where the gospel is presented, that baptism, the opportunity for baptism is presented right after. And I want to talk today about two cases um, in many places in the book of Acts, the gospel is presented much more in a conference or a, a, a preaching type of situation. But there are a couple of instances that really stand out in the book where 
it's really individuals accepting the Lord and then being baptized as individuals or more as, more as a household. And they're actually in uh, chapter 8 of Acts, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, and chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. And um, th- those two situations, we're going to talk about both of those today. Um, the um, It's really where individuals are really, really being presented with the gospel. The third place where individuals are presented with the gospel is when Paul is presented the gospel and Paul in chapter 9 of Acts he's the one that's the one place that Jesus himself did the presenting of the gospel Paul met Jesus himself on the way to Damascus that day everywhere else in the book of Acts it's really God's agents presenting the gospel and that's why it's important for us to be ready always to present the word as in season and out of season as we have the opportunity to spend to speak a word on, on the, uh, to, to really present Jesus. Now, in um, and, and what I want to do here is I don't know if I want to take the time to really read the whole passage, um, but Acts eight, um, you have a man by the name of Philip, uh, and he's spoken to by the, the angel to rise and go. Um, on a particular mission. Now, Philip's, Philip is first mentioned in um, Acts 6. He's one of seven who are chosen to oversee, oversee the logistics, providing food and uh, necessities to people who are, are not being served by the church because the church has grown tremendously in Jerusalem by now. The apostles are really spending their time in ministry. And so they selected seven, seven men um, who were really uh, Jesus followers to take care of the logistics. And Philip is one of those. In fact, Philip, the name Philip and the name Stephen are the two uh, English names given there. If you will, we recognize the other five men are Greek and I won't try to pronounce them. But we're focusing on Philip today. Um, so in Acts 6, uh, these seven men are chosen. And then right in, in Acts 7, um, we have the presentation of, of, of Stephen, one of the seven, who um, actually does such a great job of presenting the gospel to the Jewish people that uh, tremendous, um, they, they were really, um, they were really convicted, but they, they felt like they're really insulted to the point that they decided to, to stone Stephen. And it's the, at the end of that chapter, chapter seven, where we find uh, Paul actually introduced for the first time in the book of Acts. And that's really for another day. But um, persecution broke out tremendously in Acts 7. And so people started to leave Jerusalem and take the gospel elsewhere, which was, of course, God's intent um, back from when, when Jesus really shared about the Great Commission. So we find that Philip, one of the seven, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes on down and he's found in Samaria. He's found in Samaria. And I'm going to read um, part of this here. It says, and I'm, uh, you might want to make a note of this. This is Acts 8, verses 26 down through um, uh, 30, 38, 39. Uh, and I don't want to take the time to really read it, so I'll kind of go through it quickly. Um, 
Now it says in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, as mentioned earlier, Philip had already left Jerusalem. He's actually in Samaria. But now he's actually being directed by, it says, the angel of the Lord. So he rose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning. And it goes on, verse 29 goes on down. It says that, um, again, the spirit spoke directly to Philip. He said, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran on to him and heard him reading the, the prophet Isaiah. And um, so Philip joins the chariot and he asks one question. Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, sometimes when we present the gospel, we really have an easy one. We find somebody's already in the word. In fact, I just like to, I like to get Jesus into the conversation. I don't, my favorite thing to ask is somebody, in fact, I did yesterday. I said, are you a Jesus follower? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, so I tried to get him into a conversation about that. Um, what would you like to be? Well, the man didn't want to go any further, so I dropped it. But um, in this case here, Philip joins the Ethiopian, and he's already reading. He's reading actually Isaiah 53, which is the great chapter in in the Old Testament. It really speaks of the of the suffering Messiah, the one who would come to lay down his life for us. So, um, so then he he um, Philip goes. Goes on. Um, oh, first of all, when Philip comes up, he says, "Do you understand what you're reading?" In verse 31, the, the Ethiopian says, "How can I unless someone guides me?" And so, in this specific instant, um, God has Philip join the Ethiopian to present the gospel to him. And all that uh, Philip, uh, all that Philip really does that day, he just reads Isaiah 53 to the man, and um, just really an incredible story. So. Um, so the, it says in 34, then it says, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other? And then it says, And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus unto him. That's verse 34 and 35. And so Philip did really get the answer to specifically address the, Ethiop- the Ethiopian's question. And that's where we always need to be ready to be able to present the gospel, to preach Jesus, as it often says through the book of Acts. It says they preached Jesus and then people were saved. Um, now, Philip said, if you, and then, okay, so Philip explains everything. Uh, then it says in verse 36, now as they went on down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, this is verse 37. I'm going to read this to you. And I'm, I'm actually reading from the New King James here. It says in Acts 8:37, it says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, friends, that one verse is actually the presentation of the gospel right there. The question to ask a person and the answer you're looking for. But you know that in many modern translations... Uh, verse 37 is not in your Bible. You might check on that. And um, I don't mean to to raise anybody's concern in a way, but if you go back to uh, what I consider the most authoritative 
uh, Bible we have, namely the King James, you'll find that verse in there. But many, many modern translations have actually removed that verse as they have removed other verses in the Bible. So I just put that out there. Hey, we can use all these translations and the Lord can use any translation to present the gospel. But it's really important if you're really studying the word, you want to make comparison across translations and making sure that you're reading the full Bible. So going on with the story. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. What a great story. It's almost the end. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more. But then it says, and he went on his way rejoicing. And in my experience of my own believer's baptism, as well as other people getting baptized, just as we had with our family, there is great rejoicing after the time of baptism. And again, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but it's a great step of faith to show that you trust in the Lord. And I keep reiterating that. Now, it's interesting, too. Um, the very next verse says, but Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Samaria. So I don't know how Philip got caught up from the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, but anyway, uh, one of these days we're going to have those kinds of experiences ourselves. Maybe not on this, in, in this fleshy body, but, but Philip was. He just a, a man of flesh and blood like us, and he was caught away. Praise the Lord. So, um, now I just want to finish up on Philip. Other reference to this Philip is actually found in Acts 21, where we were told that Philip, um, because in Acts 21, Paul is actually on a third missionary trip and he stays with Philip in Caesarea, where is Philip's town. And, um, uh, Philip says there too that Philip has uh, his family and he has four daughters who are virgins who prophesy. Now I, I, I'm going to come back to that when we talk about the, the time in Philip. When we talk about households, uh, because I want to make it a point about households when I get to that point. But keep that in mind that that's, that's the last we see of Philip in the uh, in the account of Acts in chapter 21 when. He provides household for Paul. Now, um, I'm going to go to Acts 16 now. And we're actually on a trip with Paul and a man named Silas. They're actually on, I think it's correct that this is actually Paul's second missionary trip. And um, they arrive at the city of Philippi, which is actually a uh, city uh, a city in Greece. Uh, not too far from Corinth, as a matter of fact. I'm um, trying to remember what we used to call Greece. Um, anyway, it's not that important today. But... Um, Paul spent a lot of time in Asia Minor, which is directly north of the western end of the, which is actually western Turkey. And then Greece lies to the west of that. 
So we, this is where Paul spent a lot of time, those two areas. Um, to, um, he, has, he has come to um, Philippi, and he meets some Christians, some, some believers there. And uh, he, meet, he, he be, immediately begins to present the gospel. And um, um, now you have to keep in mind that Philippi is a Roman city. So it's full of, it's like Corinth, it's full of all kinds of uh, non-Christian, uh, I hate to use the word evil, but it is evil because it's contrary to what we know of, of, of God. So all kinds of things go on there. Um, but Paul comes to the city, meets some Christians right away, taken into a house, a lady by the name of Lydia, I believe. And so he starts going to their prayer meetings. And in the process, this woman starts following Paul around. And it sounds like she's presenting the gospel. What she actually is, is she's practicing divination. Um, and in her divination, her demonic spirits, the men of the town are really using her for gain. They're, they're making a lot of money using her for all these superstitious people. Well, she follows Paul around. She keeps speaking over, over Paul like it sounds like she's really presenting the gospel and telling us who Paul really is. But she got to be a nuisance. So Paul commanded her to stop this, and she immediately did. And the challenge for Paul was, though, as soon as she stopped, as soon as the, the as soon as the demons came out of this woman, she stopped being able to be used as, in divination to the gain of the men in that city. It was, um, that really, uh, really, really frustrated them because it broke up their livelihood. Well, being a, a Roman city and these men who uh, are really upset about this, they go to the authorities and say, well, this man, this man, Paul and Silas, these two men are really causing a lot of problems. They're really stirring up all kinds of th- things in the city. And uh, so anyway, on a false r- report, and we sure knew, know a lot about false, false news these days, don't we? But anyway, on the report of these men in the city, Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas are taken and put in prison. In fact, they're, they're beaten tremendously and then placed in prison. But in the middle of the night, um, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Uh, I don't know if I could have been this strong, but they're in their, locked in a place in the prison. Obviously still uh, wounded from the day they've been through, are, are being, uh, being challenged. But they're praising the Lord and, and just having a great time, great time of prayer and fellowship. When suddenly there's a great earthquake. And actually, it says all the prisoners in the prison were loosed. Well, the jailer woke, uh, wakes up, and he immediately, uh, fear comes over him. He feels like everybody's escaped, so he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all right here. And the very next verse says, um, it says, what must I do to be saved, says the, says the, uh, the jailer. And I didn't mention, but we're, I did mention that we're in Acts 16. And we're really talking about verses 20 through 34 in just the interest of time. I'm not going to read those, just referring to them. But um, um, let's pull over the page here. 
So picking up at verse 28 is where I'm really at. It says, Paul called with a, a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Uh, then it says he called for light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Um, and here's another opportunity, um, which we might say is uh, right fruit. Paul doesn't have to present the gospel to this man. He comes and wants to know what he knows needs to do to be saved. But Paul says, um, uh, he says, sir, what am I to do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night. This is the middle of the night now. Washed their stripes. And immediately, that's the jailer washing Paul and Silas's stripes. And immediately, this man, he and all his family were baptized. And then it says, now when he brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, I emphasize there about the household um, because where I grew up and I found this, I believe, to be true is that on that very scripture about household there, that's the basis of the theology that says we should baptize infants. Now, I think that's fine, as we mentioned earlier, and I'm emphasizing again, it's fine to baptize infants. I don't suggest full immersion. But again, it's a faith of the children, a faith of the parents over their children to be brought up. And I point out, and the reason I go back to Philip, it tells us Philip had four daughters in her household who were virgins who all prophesy. Speaking of that household, I believe everybody in that house were grown. And so it's very possible that the jailer here, his whole house, household, could have been grown people too, as well as it could have been people, young people who acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And so they immediately were being 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 baptized as believers. So don't mean to start another religion over that, but that's how I interpret that scripture. And I, personally, I think there's too much emphasis on infant baptism and not enough emphasis on on uh, believers baptism because it's such a great, uh, great experience. So, my good friends, um, I'm uh, really coming to the end here, but just to express again, um, I, I think it's wonderful that um, parents do go forth and, and where they're raising up their children and they reach out to a church or to an establishment of community and they want to dedicate their, their infants to the Lord. In fact, I saw that done this past Sunday. I'm to pray, pray over that young man and just join their family and to support them to raise up that child in the way of the Lord, and that child, by faith of his parents, will come to know the Lord at an early age. Um, but again, uh, just really expressing the emphasis of believer's baptism. If, if you're if, if you're a believer and you're still saying, well, I would baptize of an infant, and that's good enough. Yeah, it is good enough, because again, baptism is not about salvation. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ is about salvation. Though to show the world, generally it's a church group, a group or a, a church community that you're showing the world that you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you do that, it's just a great step of faith where um, you just find yourself that you, wherever you are in terms of your walk with the Lord, 
that he just comes and blesses you. And like the Ethiopian, it says he went, he went on happily after, ever after. And that's the way we are after we're baptized as a believer. That's my message for today. God bless you. Lord keep you. In Jesus' name, amen. So amazes me To every generation He gives the joy of His salvation Oh, God's mercy So amazes me As I watch the world around me I can see His mighty hand Delivering his people from the evil in this land.